Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're on Team Human, where we challenge the operating systems driving our society, reveal the embedded codes, and share strategies for sustainable living, economic justice, and preservation of the quirky nooks and crannies that make people so much more than mere programs. This is where the conscious beats the automatic, an intervention by people on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, Andy Bicklebaum of the infamous Yes Men. Play is about erasing borders and just not accepting the logic that comes from this lazy system that we just inherit from the state, you know, or from the corporate state. Bicklebaum's going to share with us the secret to fighting against even violent oppression with playful resistance. So we finally launched the show. Yes, I know that there's four or five episodes before this one sitting on the website, but those are ones we kind of did over the summer as we were preparing and getting ready and doing all that. And then yesterday, finally, we launched Team Human. And um, people have been asking me, well, what is Team Human? What do you mean by Team Human? What is this meme? So I thought I would explain a little bit what what Team Human is and, and why this show, why yet another podcast in the infinity of digital audio files that seem to be out there now. Really what happened was I wrote this book, Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, and I started to become overwhelmed with emails that came after that thing. You know, literally thousands of emails, people asking me, Oh, how do I start a community garden? How do we start a local currency? How do I transition my corporation from shareholder-owned to employee-owned? How do we create a platform cooperative? 
all this stuff. And, you know, I thought, okay, you know, I've written a good social justice book here with good answers for people. And now I'm going to try at least to point these people towards what they need. You know, no, I don't know necessarily how to start your local currency, but here's some of the issues you're going to have to look at. Does your community have a something that it produces? Does it not? Is it a bedroom community? What are you going to sell? What do you do? Um, and then I realized I, I can't do all this. I am not the, the, the one-stop shop for new social and economic strategies and answers, you know, but I do know a heck of a lot of people who do have all those answers that I don't, you know, people who understand most simply that we have to stop optimizing human lives for economic growth and instead start optimizing the economy for human prosperity. Or in in the tech sector, people who want to stop programming people for technology and start programming technology for people. You know, and the people that have those understandings, the people that have dedicated their lives to those sorts of goals, those are the people that I've come to call Team Human. You know, the members of Team Human are people who are not on Team Machine or Team Technology or Team Capitalism and Team Money. They're on Team Human. And they understand that human beings, for better or worse, you know, we're okay just the way we are, like Mr. Rogers used to say, you know, that there's something sacred and special and wonderful and soft and squishy about human beings. And rather than, especially at the end of this weird industrial age that we're in, rather than sort of aping or trying to replicate the function of machines and companies and jobs and money, you know, those things are just tools that we made to serve us in being human. So I decided to go back and do a radio show originally. You know, I I used to do a show on WFMU called The Media Squad. That was, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And it was Other than doing live theater, it was the media experience that made me feel the most alive and real time and connected. You know, partly it's because it's audio and voice and you actually move the air in people's rooms. I mean, worst case in their in their earplugs, but ideally you're moving space, you know, in their car, in their in their world. And because I sit in a room with other people, I actually get to connect with other media makers and activists who are looking at these issues. And, and uh, it's a way to forge solidarity that, uh, you know, books and Internet articles and those things, they feel so ethereal on a certain level compared to actual voice. So I decided I would sort of combine these needs, you know, the need to answer all these questions, to get other people to answer them for me, to bring some solidarity into my life, to reconnect with audio, with voice, rather than this sort of flashing text, and to assert the human agenda in an increasingly mechanized capitalist age. So that's what brought me to Team Human, you know, a a weekly podcast looking, as we say at the very beginning, you know, looking to challenge the operating systems driving our society, reveal its embedded codes, then share strategies for sustainable living, economic justice, and most importantly, preservation of the quirky nooks and crannies that make people so much more than mere programs. And yes, that's from Thomas's English Muffins, sorry, but the little nooks and crannies, the, the weird ambiguities. And this is all happening on radio, which is still to my mind, the most intimate, enveloping medium yet developed. On a certain level, I feel guilty 
doing this at all. You know, my books have always been about addressing the real symptoms of social and economic injustice and doing an almost forensic analysis of the root causes for our problems. You know, I go back to the Middle Ages or the Renaissance or biblical times and, and, you know, do this great kind of whatever, historical social economic research. But real social change, I think, requires more than knowledge of where we are and how we got here. You know, that, that's great. It's great to have it. We'll have a record when the Martian anthropologists come after our civilization is gone. Oh, look, someone knew how we got here. Fine. Uh, but I think what we really need is a shift in values, a shift in perception, in the very way we understand what it means to be a human being. And that's more fundamental than policy because it's what animates us as people in the first place. So if we can come to understand human beings in a way beyond the way the market does. Right? The market looks at people in terms of their utility value. If we do that, then all is lost. Machines have more utility value than us, so that's it. Let them take over. Machines will always have better utility value than human beings, and people are understood in that case as, as an impediment to the marketplace where assets are abstractions of derivatives, and they're not even the stuff that sustains life. But to a market, the derivatives on water are worth more than water itself. To people, the derivatives on water have no value. We just need water to stay alive. So if we keep looking at human beings the way our scientists do, the way the CEOs of our leading technology companies do, then we're just some temporary stage in information's inevitable evolution towards greater states of complexity. And the minute that human beings are outpaced by our machines, we may as well just turn it in. That's the singularity. You know, then we only really need to be kept around in order to keep the machines on, you know. And, and any effort for a human being to stick around as something more than a memory card may as well be hubris. But I don't buy that. You know, I believe it's time we forge the solidarity we humans need to press for the human agenda without shame or embarrassment. This is not some weird spiritual new agey throwback to, oh, we're going to hold hands. To the... No, people are cool. People, humans are cool. It's okay to like humans. You know, in our own weird, clumsy, ambiguous way, the markets and technologies we created are not our new gods. They are not our replacements, but mechanisms we've constructed to make our lives better, our lives more just, our lives more meaningful. So here we are. What we're going to do on Team Human is engage in real-time, no-holds-barred discussions with people who are hacking the machine to make it more compatible with human life. And by the machine, I mean, I mean the market. I mean our technologies. I mean the way we communicate, the world that we're building, the social constructions around us, and helping to redefine what it means to stay human in a digital age. So please... Join Team Human. I'm sure you already consider yourself a member, but join us as a listener and a human teammate. I truly believe it is not too late to reclaim planet Earth for its people, to give land and labor a voice along with capital, and to share our best strategies for mutual aid, environmental sustainability, and economic justice. In the real world, we humans have the home field advantage. So let's use it. We are Team Human, coming to you alive from the Basement Laboratory for Digital Humanism at CUNY Queens and online at teamhuman.fm. 
I can't think of a better way to start using it than to engage with the man known to the world as Andy Bicklebaum, star of the Yes Men Fix This World movie and Yes Men Are Revolting. Rather than introduce you, let's just talk. I met you in like 1999 at Ars Electronica in Austria when you were getting off the stage having just been scolded by Manuel Delanda, this brilliant guy, way smarter than any of us, right? This brilliant economist, writers, theorist. He scolded you. You were with a what we called a, a group called Artmark that was doing great corporate satire and analysis. And he scolded you guys for being hip, right? Oh, you're making leftism and Marxism hip, but not really doing anything. It was just awful. And, and I saw you and, and, your, and your partner, Igor, were, were almost in tears. And it was the same day, just that morning, Paul Virilio on a giant screen. He's this big, if you don't know him, he's a big postmodern guy. He was on a big video screen and they asked him, oh, what do you think of Douglas Rushkoff and his media virus? And all he said was, Rushkoff? He's an idiot. <laughs> and that's all he said. So I'm in shock, right, that the first famous person who's ever looked at my work or commented on it has called me an idiot. And I'm confronted by you guys who are basically called idiots by uh, by them. Uh, are we idiots? In other words, are we the work the, the challenge that they're setting before us is that playful resistance is wrong because of its playfulness. Right. It has to be very serious, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, Delanda, for some reason, I took his criticism to be about, didn't he take issue with the way we, in this facile way, dismissed the corporation as this thing that should just not have right. so much power? And he was like, well, we must work with it. I, I, I remember something like that. Like, he was... Or was oh. he a hardcore Marxist? I can't remember. Oh, maybe that's what he was doing. You know, I, I mean, because... We always see the world through our own little filters. Yeah. You know, for me, though, always the thing has been, oh, are we allowed to do playful resistance or does that make light of the gravity of the situation? But maybe that's what he was saying, that that you were basically, because you were, you were, were saying the corporations are friggin' insane, that yeah. they're useless. Yeah. And I think, I mean, my memory, maybe it's just I've met so many people with that attitude since then are like, well, the corporations are, you know, we there's no alternative. We have to live with them. And so let's just try to make them have a heart and... Like you were talking about this market and robots and machines having more capacity than humans. And that's the ultimate machine, isn't it? The the market, this idea of a free market. It's been around for a long time, this idea that, you know, the market can accomplish everything and that we don't need actually to organize outside of it. And I don't know, I've been doing a lot of thinking recently about that and how we actually can think about organizing against something as pervasive and crazy and immense as capitalism and corporations and the system to which there doesn't seem to be an alternative and so on. And recently I saw Angela Davis talk and she was talking about how organizing, somebody asked like, how do you do it? How do you organize? What's the word of wisdom to impart to us? And she said, there is no formula. There is no word. It's like, it's an art, and you have to just come up with it on the spot. And I also talked to a Mayan scholar from the Zapatista region and he um, named Chuna Lopez, who was saying that basically the, the one step to really expand the kind of utopia that the Zapatistas have achieved 
a little bit of a tiny bit of you know a, a, a little world without prisons or borders in how do we think about having something like that in this world of ours is to erase borders and what could be less efficient than erasing borders you know <laughs> i don't know there's an overlap there with the playfulness it's like get rid of borders it's an art mm-hmm. play is about erasing borders and just not accepting the logic that comes from this lazy system that we just inherit from the state you know or from the corporate state or whatever it is right and then again, that's really what what the work of Artmark and later, you know, the Yes Men. For for anybody who's unfamiliar with it, go look. But um, that's what the Yes Men's work is: is usually to ask almost bizarre what ifs that are not that bizarre. The basics. I mean, for people who don't know, it is you know you set up websites that basically fool agencies or corporations or conferences into contacting you to be the representative of a major corporation or a government or something. Mm-hmm. And like in the case of doubt you say oh we're we're going to make reparations for the bhopal tragedy mm-hmm. you know and pay whatever billion dollars dedicated to that and then their stock crashes you know until it comes out that oh no this is a prank it's not yeah. real so on the one hand you do you do pranks that are almost what if a corporation were going to do the right thing right what would that look like mm-hmm. and is it so preposterous to imagine and they look pretty reasonable and then the other way you prank is you take the corporation to the, almost the evil extreme. In other words, uh, uh, like what's one an example where you did something awful? Like where Exxon proposes a fuel, well, announces what its solution for the climate change problem is. Right. Because one of the problems with climate change is that we don't know what's going to happen. And there are numerous scenarios that involve, you know, billions of people no longer being able to survive on the planet if it, you know, if the climate changes dramatically enough. And so their solution is to make sure that the market keeps working because the market is ultimately what's important. This robot with these autonomous rules that will take care of everything, and that's what we believe. So, you know, billions of people dying. Fuel. We used to use whales for fuel, and you can burn flesh. It's it's great. So we we made this announcement, showed some animations of how it'll work, at a an oil men's dinner in Calgary for which they had paid $200 a plate. And we got ourselves invited as Exxon and made this announcement that this was our solution to climate change and showed a video of a... Actually, it was Reggie Watts pretending to be a janitor who had given his life to testing out this fuel and passed out candles and shaped like him that smelled like human flesh when you lit them. And that was supposed to be him. Yeah, and it was supposed to be his flesh right. as a test project. Um, so, you know, that got shut down. <laughs> but sometimes they believe you. Sometimes even though you're being preposterous, they come, oh, well, how do we sign up? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but then these two, both of these, though, in the long run, these are uh, tragic, but they're comedy. Yeah, they're tragic, they're comedy, and there are possibilities to do things very differently, which is what the Bhopal story, the the Dow impersonation, where we announce, you know, this great thing, we're going to fix the problem, we're going to compensate the victims, we're, we're going to do everything right that we should, and immediately the stock plunges. We didn't intend that. We didn't know that the stock would plunge, or we might have been tempted to short them and we'd be in prison. But... Um, that really points to the utopian answer to that because Union Carbide or Dow doing the right thing is not utopian. 
it's impossible. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. They can't do it because if they did do it, their stock would plunge. And because there's a market that rewards profit at all costs, regardless of what it does for humans, as you were saying. And so the answer is to change the rules of the game. And then a company like Dell will do the right thing because it's rewarded only because it's rewarded. So if we want to keep this whole corporation thing, um, if we think that this is useful, then we'd better change the rules and make it so that if you do, and it's easy to, it, it doesn't take much thought to come up with an idea for how to make a Bhopal catastrophe impossible. Like if everybody in, in Dow, for each of the lives that were lost, you know, there were 3,000 people died that night over the next years, 20,000 people died total, a hundred and some thousand people need medical care for their entire lives because of that catastrophe. If each of those counts was murder and the people in the Dow leadership had to go to jail for it, I don't think companies would be doing that sort of thing (laughs) anymore. I keep hearing you say like the idea of changing the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to do is change the rules. And it seems like in order for people to even see that there's rules, in order for them to see this, what I keep calling the hidden operating system, the embedded codes, they almost need that shock that only a rule breaker can make. I mean, whether it's someone climbing up Trump Tower, you know, Mm -hmm. that you your your work does break rules. I don't know that you're you're not breaking laws like dropping bombs or anything, but you're you get it. You impersonate people. You do fraudulent activity. You essentially break rules in order. It seems to show people there's another way to live. Mm -hmm. You can cross these lines. You can stop recognizing the the boundary conditions that have been set for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and humor's classically about that, right? Like jokes are sort of like think this other way and see see things this other way. And as you laugh, you kind of get on board with it, even if you don't agree politically. And then you you're kind of understanding what the argument's about by laughing. So yeah, when when people see us, you know, at one conference we announced Halliburton's solution to climate change, which was this giant survivable that could survive any climate catastrophe, and to talk about that, we had to go through the list of possible climate catastrophes that could very well happen. And you see the people in the audience just kind of nodding and asking polite questions afterwards and them trying it on. And you laugh about it. But as you're laughing, you realize, wow, these these catastrophes are real. I see I'm laughing at this joke, but it's it's actually pointing to this real situation. And this is where this machine, this market robot will take us if we don't do something about it. But the the weirdest is when when you do something that seems so horrific, but that the business community responds to it enthusiastically. Like the time when you did one where you would help calculate the human costs of certain of oh. death from labor or the, something, or workers that would die. Yeah, it was Guild of the Acceptable Risk Skeleton. Right. That, yeah. <laughs> this acceptable risk to cal- help calculate, you know, what... Right. And, these companies were interested. They were mm-hmm. trying to get your business card at the end. Yeah. Is that a success or a failure at no, that point? No. I mean, it's a success in a, in a sense because really, <laughs> you know, we figure out a way to present these ideas in corporate language so that, you know, there are horrific ideas being promoted at these 
conferences. I mean, the Nazis actually promoted their ideas in these very polished ways that made them make sense if you were on board with the basic idea that the human species needed to be improved. So, you know, if, if the basic idea is that profit is more important than human life, which is our current idea, there's ways to say that and to excuse the most inexcusable things in nice polished language that everybody can just listen to and hear and, you know, washes right through the brain and, and then you you applaud. And so we learn that language and we say these things like, you know, if you're a corporation and you might kill a few thousand people, here's, we've got this thing that can calculate if it's worth it. <laughs> and we say it in this way that's in banking language and people just listen and, you know, don't question it. But the point isn't really to get them. I mean, we'd like it if people, you know, reacted in the audience and realized there was something wrong. But we also say it in such a way that we were demonstrating not so much to them, but to the secondary audience who watches the movie or TV or, or reads the press releases that there's something really wrong and that this is a system that's doing this, basically, that's calculating how much death should cost and how much death is worth it, assigning a dollar value to human life. And that's the ultimate point. So it's a success in, in that it's funny to see people come up and ask for business cards and have these conversations as if this is normal, when everybody in the secondary audience watching the TV can see this is not normal. This is right. not okay. So it's almost at that point, it's almost like a sting operation or investigative reporting of look, look what they will do. They are getting our cards. They want to buy this service. Yeah. And they're okay with it. And maybe they're not, you know, I mean, they come up and they ask for the cards and they're genteel and everything, which is sick. You know, that is sick. <laughs> but they don't embrace it wholeheartedly, I have to say. Like, those things, it's it's fine, but they don't really embrace it. Um, well, not deep, deep down. I mean, you talk to them about their own lives, and they're saying, well, I send my child to a Rudolf Steiner school, and we have a goat share, and we, you know, so they're, yeah. insul they're using the money they earn to insulate themselves from a world that they know that they're screwing up. Yeah. What's a goat share? A goat share is you get, like, an organic goat somewhere that lives in a nice organic place. And, like, because you don't need all what the goat produces, you, yeah. you and three other families maybe go in for a quarter goat. Wow. And then you pay to keep that goat alive and you get a quarter of its goat product. Can you play with it? Or, I suppose. But it's really just a goat. It's a real goat. Share. Like it's a... a share of a goat. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... I mean, where do you see, where do you see the most positive next step things coming from your work? In other words, do you see, you know, young people who see your movie or see a prank or see a thing and then go and do something, or does it kind of stop now at the at the level of cognition and awareness? And you know, it's really tough to see any particular action as successful, like. <laughs> Even a movie, or, well, especially a movie, maybe. Um, but, you know, any one of our actions, you, you can't really generally say this caused that. There are very few. In fact, you know, there might be less than 1% of political action, less than a tenth of a percent of political actions that actually succeed by themselves. But cumulatively, as movements, they almost all succeed. So, you know, you, you look at... 
individual protests or, you know, our actions or protest actions or, you know, sit-ins, it's pretty rare that, you know, people sit in somewhere and then whoever it is says, oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Even though that's the intention, you know, that is the idea. Like, you're supposed to say, yeah, okay, obviously, you're sitting in, you care, and I get it now. But that rarely happens. But if there are 10 sit-ins and you know, petitions and people march and there's some, you know, maybe creative actions on top of it and, you know, people talking to people at high levels or people making politicians' lives miserable and, you know, like ACT UP mm-hmm. did things at all levels. And that almost always succeeds. And you can point to so many movements in history that succeed, that win, because they do all these different things and keep at it for a long time. And they achieve miracles. Like, well, you know, recently gay marriage, unthinkable, 10 years ago, absolutely unthinkable. But some crazy people thought it was possible and made it happen just through sheer persistence and a whole array of tactics. Act Up's even better. Civil rights struggle. You know, every, pretty much every struggle, you can go back and look and, and with a lot of hindsight, you can say, oh, they, they did all of these things and of course they won. You can show how they won. But at the time, it just feels like, oh, you're doing this thing. What good is that? Rosa Parks, back of bus, front of bus, you know, like what good is any of that? It's only with hindsight that you see that there's been this movement that, has changed things through a bunch of individual acts that each failed. And I think that's what we're in the middle of now with Occupy and the Bernie Sanders campaign and, you know, looking back to the anti-globalization movement and before that, the Zapatistas. It's all one thing. And I think that can help you, like, not look at the eviction of Occupy as a big deal because it wasn't. I mean, a lot of people in within Occupy were like, come on, evict us already. This is right. exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Bernie Sanders campaign, like, if he had won, would that have been better? Really? I mean, he I think it would have been he would have had a better chance against Trump and then Clinton and you know, it would have been really cool to have those ideas in the most powerful office in the world. But it's almost better to have all like that resistance in the opposition because the president really can't do anything anyways. And if he were able to keep those people in the streets active, the whole movement that made him happen, that I'm sure shocked him, (laughs) if he could win and keep those people in the streets being as active as ever, then, you know, great. But I doubt that would have happened. I mean, part of the, the question I'm wrestling with is, are the stakes too high for playful resistance? In other words, are we, you know, if you talk to uh, uh, one of our earlier guests, the, uh, Rick Maxwell, for example, you know, who's uh, he's looking at global warming and the way media is destroying the planet and technology, and uh, we're on the friggin' brink that this mm-hmm. is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. Mm-hmm. You know, our lifetime or the lives of our kids, this is it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to do a play about it and have fun with it and... In other words, what you're talking about is sort of a multifaceted, almost permanent revolutionary state that we're always kind of, there is the movement and it goes way back when and it keeps coming forward. But the other guys, whether or not they know it, they're winning at their destruction of the very biosphere in which we're living. Well, yeah, I'm not sure they're winning, but 
I'm an incurable like optimist. No, that's the that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But you know, so we had uh, we had two um, we had two Turkish scholars here who uh, um, last year who were both um, put on the bad bad boy list. You know how they uh, Turkey had a big mm-hmm. they had a mm-hmm. big coup and all this, mm-hmm. and these two guys um, were in big big trouble. Mm-hmm. And they're here and they're thinking, what do we do? How do we help the hundreds of academics that we know who are now mm-hmm. in prison? Mm-hmm. You know, so. They wrestled with a long for a long time. Do we? Because they're they're followers of you. Mm. They're playful activists. Mm-hmm. Do we do playful activism when our friends are in jail, or is this too serious? And what they ended up doing was deciding that if all the good academics are in the same jail called Metris Prison, they created a website called Metris University, which was. If all the academics are in prison, let's rename the prison a university. Brilliant. And they created all of these ads for, here's why you should come study. You'll get isolation. Yeah. You'll have all the time to think. Yeah. And they um, See, that's amazing. And that gets at least that gets the word out right. about what's it happened. It did get the word out better than the New York Times article about, right. oh, academics jailed for. Right. You know. Which is critical, too. And you need that. Absolutely. You need people writing articles and, you know, pitching articles and, you know, getting words out and getting the word out and or. But they were tormented almost by the by the idea of yeah. having fun. Yeah. Because it's fun to make that stuff. Yeah. It's fun to make Yes Men movies. Yeah. It's fun when there's actual real suffering going on. Well, you got to do all things, I think. It's like, and, and it, it's, I mean, there's no, I don't think there's, you know, one thing you can do. There's no formula. It's It's not like... Serious work is a is the answer. There's a formula. I mean, there is a formula for the other side. There's a formula for the market thing. Just let the market operate freely. Corporations make as much money. Everything will be great for everyone. That's the formula. And it's disastrous, but very convenient. And you can be really lazy about it intellectually. And in your life. I mean, you can just let this market go and everything will be fine. It's are seeking for a robot, for seeking for a, an answer, a final solution to life's problems. Mm-hmm. And this, the other, our side, you know, we have to proceed through an art. There's no formula for organizing. There's no formula for change. It's art. So, you know, everything contributes, whether it's a funny thing like that, highlighting what's going on, um, or, you know, occupying a square. That was a piece of performance art. Yeah. You know, occupying Zuccotti Square accidentally because they meant to occupy a different thing. And, you know, then finding, the, oh, the cops aren't evicting us. Why is that? Oh, because it's this special weird kind of property that, <laughs> yeah. So I think, yes, there's room for fun. Yeah. Cause... I guess particularly when it when it breaks people from the trance. You know, because most people mm-hmm. are going day in and day out doing the thing. They're in the corporate program. Right. And that's the only thing that can break people from the trance is fun. And, yeah, playing with borders, you know, crossing borders, humor, um, trickery. It's like of of any sort, including something like Occupy or, you know, the Zapatistas declaring war on the Mexican state or creative acts. Um, fun or pain, I guess, and yeah. better fun. You know. Well, I mean, yeah. the declaring war on the Mexican state was also theatrical. It right. was real, but it was theatrical, and you know, they did a lot of very funny work with that. And um, it's, I think, yeah, that's the only thing that can really shock people. If you're speaking in the state's language, which is like, you know, violence, for example, real violence, or using the regular outlets all the time only people don't notice it's hard to fight 
using those. I mean, you can also, but you need everything, I think. I mean, are the Yes Men, uh, are they the movement's, the movement's clowns? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Francis Fox Piven called us, and ever since then I've used that. <laughs> We're clowns. Um, clowns are pretty serious, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, and they're the only ones who can get away with... Uh, Doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm just a clown. Yeah. Just a clown. I know, that's the face. I mean, you go, all, everyone has to watch one of these movies. That's the face when they do grab you, when it's the security guys pulling you off the lectern. Yeah. Your face is essentially, hey, I'm just a clown. Yeah. It's like the Marcel Marceau face. Of, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> I am a clown. <laughs> So it's yeah. a great defense, yeah. as opposed to some, you know, protester. You know, if yeah. you're going in there with muscle, they're going to throw you in jail. Well, not that yeah. they don't, yeah. but uh, it's a it's a balance. You have to be a clown in the moment and know how to roll with the punches and enjoy it and just like, you know, play that role. But then, when it comes to explaining what you did afterwards, and you know, if people ask, "Are you performance artists or whatever?" I would say no. No, we're clowns, but not performance artists. <laughs> we're not doing art. We're not trying to make a statement or just just laughing about it. We're actually trying to <laughs> destroy the system and come up with a whole new thing. Or, you know, that's exaggerated. We're trying to really head towards utopia. And it's, it's actually a serious thing. It's a very serious thing. It's like there is nothing more serious. So I think the danger with calling things you know, just jokes or pranks or stunts or whatever is that then it seems like just something you do against your older brother or whatever. But right. this is real. There's actually a war going on. <laughs> you know, it may not be violent, but it is warfare. It's nonviolent warfare. We have a problem and there's real violence being committed against a lot of people in the society. And I don't know. Is there another definition of war? <laughs> no, I guess not. And you, uh, you, through successful uh, culture hacking, you get behind enemy lines and then uh, launch uh, viral thought attacks. Hopefully a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you for it. And thank you for the, uh, the risks you take. It's actually, I mean, I know it looks like fun on a certain level, but... It, it's too scary for my blood. I don't know if I could do it. It's, I don't uh, think it's risky at all. It, what we do. You look so scared sometimes. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's emotionally very risky. <laughs> but it's not actually risky. They're not going to do anything to you. Like in those, I mean, they're polite circles. You know, they're nice people in ties who are not, they're not thinking of all the violence that the system is committing. They're not violent themselves. They're letting the system do all the violence. So they're very nice. And they can have goat shares, <laughs> <laughs> which is a wonderful idea. And I really do think we should steal it. Um, we will. We're yeah. going to have a team human goat share. Yeah. Everyone can sign up, pay a nickel and get a ounce of goat milk. Yeah. It's all good. We'll yeah. treat it well. Yeah, I mean, what can be evolved? You, you, you know, goat, they're cheap. They eat anything. Team human deserves a goat. I would actually <laughs> get a goat share if I could, like, play with a goat once a week. Well, you're the clown. You're the you're the <laughs> right. officially dubbed oh, yeah. playmate. And goats are sort of the, the clown yeah, animal. Exactly. Right. Huh, perfect. 
It's all good. Wow, we've we've solved it all. We've solved, and that believe it or not, that will be the kernel, the very beginning, the first crumb of the snowball that saves human reality. Yep, yep, I'm confident. Well, thank you, Andy Picklebaum, for joining Team Human. We'll be back in the basement media squad here at the Laboratory for Digital Humanism again next week with new strategies for human intervention in the machine. This show was produced and edited by Stephen Bartolome. Quite a few generous people helped make launching Team Human possible. Special thanks to our friends, the creative team at Zago, who designed our logo, helped me with the visual design and website, and provided an underwriting donation to help get us rolling. Thanks to Fugazi and the folks at Discord Records for sharing the music we're using as our theme. And thanks to Mike Watt, whose music you heard in the middle of today's show. My name is Stephen Bartolome, and I'm on Team Human. And I'm Douglas Rushkoff. Come visit us at teamhuman.fm, where you'll find more information about our supporters and guests, the work they're doing, resources to get involved, and ways to find the others. Team Human, our last best hope for peace. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.